As we uh, continue in our series, Revolutionary Love, looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 17 in just a moment. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I got a phone call from my wife, Carrie, and she said, uh, Brady, the car is not working. Those are wonderful calls. You ever get one of those? And uh, I must confess to you that I'm not much of a mechanic, and so my checklist of things that could be wrong was very short. And so I said, well, honey, what, well, what's wrong? And she said, I don't know. I told you that's why I'm calling you. I don't know what's wrong. So I ran through the quick list of things that I could figure out. I said, well, do your lights work? She checked. She said, yeah, my lights work. I thought, okay, we got power. That's good. <laughs> do you have gas in the car? We've had this discussion before. She said, yes, I got gas this morning. Yes, there's gas in the car. And I said, well, is there any lights on in the dash? No, nothing's unusual. It's the same way that it always has been. And, and I, I'm perplexed, and, and this is about the end of my mechanic skills. And, and I went back to one of those three. I didn't know what else to do. And I said, well, Carrie, is, are you sure? Is there any lights on, in the, on the dash or anything? And she said, well, nothing unusual, just the genie lamp, but that's always on. And and I thought, genie lamp? Well, I'm not a very good mechanic. I said, honey, just stay there. I'll be right there with you soon. So I drove over to her and not wanting to confess how little I knew about cars, I got in the front seat. I felt pretty good about my knowledge but very concerned about the situation when I discovered what Carrie thought was a genie lamp was the oil light that had been on. And I guess it was a picture of a lamp that kind of looked like Aladdin's deal or whatever. And she says, well, Brady, that can't be it. It's been on for months. Now my panic has risen to another level, and I pop the hood, and I check the oil, and sure enough, there is not a drop of oil in the engine. We learned a very important lesson that day on what it means to read the gauge and know what the gauges are saying to us. It didn't matter if her car was washed, recently waxed. It didn't matter if the carpet was shampooed. It didn't matter if the air fresheners were strategically placed in the car. It didn't even matter if there was power in the battery or gas in the tank. If there's no oil in your engine, you are going to have a breakdown soon. I believe that that has great relevance to us today. The teaching that Jesus has for us is one that we cannot miss. I want to let you know why you need to know this before we even talk about what Jesus has to say. If we don't catch what Jesus has to say... It will cause all kinds of problems. If we don't understand the gauge of what Jesus wants us to gauge our life by, we'll be skewed and we may have a good paint job, a good wash, a good wax. The carpet of our entryway of our life may be shampooed. Air fresheners may be strategically placed in our life. But if there's not oil in the engine of our heart, we are headed for a major breakdown. Jesus started his teaching with, the Beatitudes, a less than exciting start, I'm sure, for the disciples, talking about the heart, started with the heart. Then he moved to being salt and light that's fueled by the heart and what Jesus does. And now he's going to be talking to us about a standard of righteousness. Now, if you like to take notes, I'm going to do my best by request to slow down my talker. But I'm going to ask you to meet me halfway and you speed up your listener, okay? So I'll slow down my talker. You speed up your listener. We'll meet somewhere. Now, you know the rule around here. If you don't like to take notes, this is your cue. Hit the person next to you. Say, I'm too cool to take notes. You take them for me. That's your job. If you like to do that, here's your first blank. And if you miss a blank, I sell them for $5 after. No. I'll try to make sure you catch them. A standard 
of righteousness or right living. Chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is setting his standard, his gauge for righteousness or right living. And right out of the chute, he's saying, the righteousness of my followers must surpass mere religiosity. It's got to be more than just mere religiosity. It's got to be something beyond that. My standard, the gauge for how your life is going, it's got to be something more than just religiosity. Jesus is calling for this standard of righteousness, right living, that is higher than just religion. And verse 20, look at what it says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that that had to be discouraging for the people who heard that. Jesus is basically saying here, you need to be better than the best of men. That's another blank for you there. Jesus is basically saying to those who are hearing, you need to be better than the best of men. Unless your righteousness surpasses, your right living surpasses those who are the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, you surely won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now most people hearing that would have felt much less righteous than the Pharisees. And when Jesus says, you surely will not enter the kingdom of heaven, it begins to pique their interest. Why? I mean, Jesus, these guys, they've got it together. And if anybody keeps the rules, if anybody knows the law, if anybody's excited about keeping the law, it's these guys. Jesus, are you against the law? And he started out by clearly saying he's not. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus simply is saying this. The law can tell you what is sin, but the law cannot save you. The the law is of importance. I'm here not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. It can tell you what is sin, but it cannot save you. In short, Jesus is talking about relationship with him, not religion of man. About relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the core of what he's talking about, not religion of men. Now, church, it's at this point that we often really enjoy phrases like this. I think we've been accustomed to hear things about a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I'm not about the law. I'm not about religion. In fact, I don't like religion. I'm not a religious person. I'm a, I'm a passionate relationship with Jesus guy. And, and I want to encourage you that that is right, but I, I want to caution you. I think we want to end the sermon there too soon, and we see it, and it is a flashing genie lamp to us. And Jesus says, wait a minute, there's something more there. It's not just a phrase. It's not just something that makes you feel good. Sometimes we want to say, oh, I'm about relationship and the law doesn't really matter. And Jesus says, time out. My relationship with you that I'm calling you to is a higher standard than that of the law. 
And Jesus presses in in his teaching. He continues on in verse 21 through 48. And Jesus' standard requires a new heart. That's what we uncover. He says, my standard, it requires a new heart. In essence, Jesus rewinds the beginning of his speech. He says, I talked to you about the Beatitudes and, and all these things that, that are an upside down, inside out view of what your heart looks like when I explode in your life. And, and then when you are salt and light, you can see that your heart has to be changed. But right now I'm talking about right living, righteousness, and there is a new heart that is required. We can't measure our lives. We can't use the gauge in our life that only examines the outward. As much as we like to examine the outward, Jesus is saying, I need to press you a little bit farther than that. There's value in it, but we need to go farther. I don't know about you, but as I've shared a couple times, I have a simple mind, and simple things like this helps me. And if you're too smart for that, then you get to take a quick nap, and then you join us when we get back into the text. We like to measure things on the outside. And it's just like a standard or a measuring device, like a tape measure. We, we love to examine the things that other people can see about us. Our vocabulary, how good our Christian vocabulary is, and our attendance records. We, we like our attendance records and how that is, and, and we measure that. And we measure our appearance to people. We, we can measure all kinds of things. But Jesus says the outward has some value, and there's a place for that, but we need to go a little bit deeper. Now, you can measure all kinds of things about yourself. You can measure your ears if you want to. It's kind of fun if you've not done that. You can measure your nose, and that's fun for some of us. Maybe not everybody. You can measure your waist. I never like doing that. I don't like doing that at all. But we can see some outward measurements that tell us some things, and they're important, and, and there's some use for that in health, but it's not the same as when we take a device like this and we measure what's happening on the inside. And uh, if I wrap this around my arm and I have somebody who's skilled in knowing how to take my blood pressure, you can find out from this device, what's happening inside of me. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside, though there's some indicators of health or lack thereof. If something is wrong with my heart, if the blood pressure is not right in my body, it can cause a major breakdown. And Jesus is saying, I want you to look at my standard of righteousness that is going to look at something that is in your heart. Jesus basically says every aspect of a true believer's conduct must be characterized by a righteousness that surpasses mere appearance. It surpasses mere appearance. Now Jesus begins to not only continue his teaching, he recognizes in the people who are listening to him the same problem that he sees in us today. They, they kind of halfway get it, but they need some examples. And Jesus didn't just give one example. He didn't just give two examples. He says, you need six. I'm going to overdo it. I'm going to flood you with example after example after example of what I mean by a standard of righteousness that I'm calling you to. The first we find in verse 21. Follow along with me as I read verse 21 of chapter 5. You have heard that... It was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters, settle matters, settle matters quickly. Easy for me to say. With your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is giving some examples here that that really shake the people up. He wants to remove murderous anger and replace it with humble reconciliation. That kind of sounds good, but... Let's unpack that together. What, what, what does that mean and how is he getting at that? He's basically saying, hey, you've heard that it's been said, don't murder. Okay, good. I can get along with that, Jesus. I'm not a big fan of murder. That's not good. I, I don't want to be murdered. I don't want to murder anybody else. That's good. But he says, hey, the same judgment, do not have uh, anger, vengeful anger against someone else. I can hear the audience saying, are you serious? Jesus is now equating vengeful anger with murder? He says, my standard is raising the bar. No murder. Okay, good. No vengeful anger. All right, I guess. But Jesus says, yeah, I want to let you know something else. I want you to replace those with humble reconciliation. Settle disagreements quickly. Don't let what someone else has against you... Get in the way of your worship with God. Go to them humbly and have reconciliation. I love reconciliation when it causes you to do something. But when reconciliation causes me to do something, it feels quite different. Jesus says, my standard is higher. The gauges of how your life should go, right living, is different than that of just the external. Jesus goes on. But before we read that passage, maybe we could benefit from a couple questions of what Jesus may ask us. Grace Point, how are you doing with murder today? That's simple. You struggling with murder this week? Probably most of us not. How are we dealing with vengeful anger? Well, I mean, don't put them next to each other. Some of us feel we've got that pretty good. How are we doing with humble reconciliation? Jesus says, my standard is higher. Right living, the gauge, is something that I'm calling you to that's different than the world around us. Wake up, church, Jesus says. The genie light has been flashing for so long, and there is a huge breakdown coming if you don't let me gauge what's happening in your heart. Verse 27, Jesus continues with another example. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Here we go again. Jesus takes this extreme adultery. Okay, no adultery. It's bad. But now, Jesus, you're seeing a lustful thought in my heart is the same as committing adultery with that woman. Now, Jesus, come on. I mean, who can really live up to that standard? Who would really know if I lived up to that standard? It's kind of my own thoughts. Jesus says, I'm going to know. 
He says, I'm calling you, disciple, I'm calling you, follower of me, to a different gauge in righteousness and right living. It's not just the outward, it's also something on the inward that has to be examined. Jesus is saying, the disciple needs to be fleeing internal immorality, not just external. He says, I want you to run from internal immorality, not just the external. Both need to be fleeing. Church, how, how, are, how are we doing with adultery? I would hope that most of us would see the obvious grievance and error in our way in that manner. But if statistics are true about this room like they are in many other rooms, there's a huge percentage of us that look at lustful thoughts as not quite in the same category as adultery. But Jesus goes beyond that and he asks us a question, not just how are you doing with adultery, how are you doing with lust? He says, how are you doing with being so repulsed by any sin inwardly that you would pluck it out, you would cut it off from your very body? If you think about this, this is gross. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Saw off your hand. Jesus is using the most extreme image he can think of. That we should be so repulsed by willful disobedience that we would do everything we could to cut it off from our very being. He says, that's my standard. I thought we just weren't supposed to commit adultery. Jesus, winning the crowd over, goes on to his third example in verse 31 and 32. I want to confess to you this morning that unfortunately many Pulpits across the country would edit out portions of the scripture like this, where they would want to do some teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and they would just conveniently skip over a few passages of the scripture, and I want to confess to you today that I cannot and don't know how to do that, because God has called me to preach the gospel, the whole gospel, and all the gospel, and nothing but the gospel. And so as uncomfortable as it may be, and may possibly may be painful, I believe that God's word wants to bring healing to your life, and we need to hear passages like this. Listen to what Jesus said. It slaps us in the face just as it did them. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Well, what's happening here? What's Jesus talking about? The law that was set up came from Moses' day. And the problem that was happening is men would divorce their wives for whatever reason, whatever they wanted to, without giving notice and just because they felt like it that day. Wake up, honey, you burnt my toast, you're divorced. Wake up, you're late to the meeting, you're divorced. Wake up, you got bad breath, you're divorced. Uh, I went on a hunting trip. Oh, honey, I forgot to tell you last week, I, I divorced you and so the financial help there is gone. And, and, and Moses said, time out. There needs to be a system to this. You need to fill out the paperwork. You need to have a certificate. You need to list the reason. And and we're going to have some order in this. And Jesus says, hey, don't just be organized. And and don't just have a system. But except for marital unfaithfulness, here's what he calls. Move from casual commitments to committed covenants. He says, you made a covenant before God and before man when you were married. And except for marital unfaithfulness, you are to stay married. Church, God never wants divorce to be his first plan. There is pain, there is hurt, there is shattering of lives in every instance when divorce happens. And God says, hey, I don't want you just to follow the technicality of relationships. I want you to go beyond that. 
It's not just a casual commitment. Well, I'm going to be committed as long as you make me happy or as long as you do these things. I'm going to be committed in my covenant to you before God and before man. Now, it's moments like this where the enemy wants to jump on a good Christ follower's shoulder who's experienced divorce in their life. And the enemy will say things like this. If you were a real Christian like Pastor Brady was talking about, you never would have experienced that divorce in your life. There's no hope for you, no good, rotten person. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to hear me clearly today that there is no pain, there is no sin, there is no heartache that God cannot heal, that God cannot forgive. There is no fractured relationship that God cannot put back together. And I want you to know, friend, if you're here today and you've experienced divorce, if you've had the pain of divorce in your life, not only do we love you, God loves you and he welcomes you in. But I love you enough and you are the first person to be able to stand up and say that divorce hurts. There's pain and it goes from generation to generation. And God says, this is not my plan. This is not what I want to have happen. And I'm calling you to a higher standard. Commit to the covenant that you've made. Jesus continues on. Not only talking about covenants. I love this next one. But maybe we need to ask ourselves a couple questions before we get to his next example. Church, how are we doing with divorce? I would love to think that in this day and age we would still see it as murder and adultery and all these other things that God calls us to not be a part of. But statistics tell us it's just as rampant in the church as it is outside. Now hear me again, friend. If you've gone through this pain, I'm not condemning you. We welcome you. I love you. More importantly, God loves you. But church, there needs to be a different commitment in our covenant before God. But as we go on forward, how are we in continuing to be committed to our covenant before God, those who are currently married? Men, how are you doing on loving your wife in sickness and in health? For better and for worse. Regardless of if she says the things you want her to say, or if she looks the way you want her to look, or if she acts the way you want her to act, how are you doing on putting her needs first? How are you doing on laying your life down for her? How are we doing on being there for our spouse regardless of what we feel like, but I am going to serve them the way God has called me to? Jesus says I have a higher standard. This next one is one of my favorites. Jesus doesn't even let a breath get in. He goes on to his fourth example in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Or in my case, show up at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And Jesus is simply saying here, mean what you say and no more crossing of your fingers. No more crossing of your fingers. What was happening was they said, well, if I promise to God, i got to keep that promise. But all my other promises, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what you do in business. You kind of say some things to smooth them, and then maybe we don't deliver on that. That's kind of what you do in relationships. You tell them what they want to hear. I mean, good grief. Who can understand a woman? Just tell them what they want to hear, but don't ever follow through on what you're saying. And when we begin to live life just like as kids, I don't know if you ever heard that from your kids or you were a kid who said, I'm crossing my fingers, it doesn't count. 
The things I say don't count when I cross my fingers. The things I promise don't count when I cross my fingers. That's hogwash. Jesus says, as much as you know that it is a child's game, why do you have to work so hard to prove that you're serious in your promises? Another kid's game we would say sometimes is, you mean it so bad, I'm so serious you can poke a needle in my eye. Fifty needles in my eye, I'd hope to die. I don't know if you've ever heard your kids say those things. Why do I have to be so extreme? Because I really, 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 really mean it this time. Jesus says, there's another standard for right living. Don't just honor your promise before God. What if you would actually live by the word that you said? Let your word be your bond. Jesus, help me live truthfully and honestly. And finally, well, next to last anyway, Jesus goes in verse 38 and shifts gears in a pretty radical way. He's been asking us how we do with our promises, church. How do you do on promising to God? How are you doing, church, on your promises to your kids and to your family, to your employer, to your friends, to yourself? But now he shifts to something that is not what you have done. Look with me at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, your shirt, let him have your cloak, your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus has now taken it to a whole nother level. The law that they were following, the, the, the tape measure, outward measure, and if they were a right living person was, don't pay evil with a higher evil. In other words, you killed my dog, I'm going to kill your mama. No more of this, Moses says. We'll go dog for dog, not dog for mama. Jesus says, that's silly. Quit keeping score. Quit trying to measure up. This offense hurt me this bad, and so I can hurt you this bad, and you said this, and I can do this. Just let it go. When someone hurts you, turn the other cheek and let them do it again. What? Jesus, come on. I mean, I really didn't like the sermon, but now, really, he says, there's something I want to do in you that is so radically different. It starts in the heart. It's a revolution of love. And it's going to change the way you live. Righteous living. There's a different standard. It's not what makes sense to your flesh. In essence, Jesus says, let the scorekeeping go. And he says, stop worrying about being taken advantage of. And start giving your advantage away. How much of our life and relationships and in the world, do we worry about being taken advantage of? And what if we would say, I'm just going to give you my advantage. Whether it's the resources that I feel like I've earned or have been given to me or entrusted to me or I inherited. There you go. The, the honor or status that we feel like that we are due, it takes some of that. Sure, I don't know everything. Sure, I, I'll let you go first. Jesus says, there's a better way, a different way. And once again, Jesus is asking us questions today. How are you doing with repaying evil with a similar kind of evil? Well, I don't go off the deep end. I only give to them what they deserve. How are we doing on the deeper question of just taking it for Jesus? How are you doing when someone says something about you and you just say, you know what? 
I'm going to let it go. Better yet, how are we doing church when you go up to them and you say, man, did you need more information? Not only am I bad at that, let me give you six other things that I'm bad at. Jesus shakes them to their core. And this last one, he about goes over the top. Verse 43, his final example. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brother, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And right here, he just pushes it over the edge. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, come on. What are you asking of us? And it's at this moment, if I was there in the crowd, I I hate to admit it to you, but but when I first started following him, I think I would have stood up and said, I don't have the power to do it. I cannot do it. I don't have the power to do it. I believe Jesus would have greeted me the same way he greets us today. He says, that's right, you don't have the power to do it. Jesus didn't say, I I know you're frail and you're faulty and you don't have the power, and so don't worry about it. We have a relationship, so don't worry about it. He says, no, I have called you to a high standard. Jesus calls us to a high standard. Write that in. He calls us to a high standard. You are not only called to a high standard, He wants you to know that you cannot do it on your own. And some of us here today... We need a wake-up call. There is a genie lamp flashing on the dashboard of our life spiritually, and we don't know why things aren't working out right. Jesus says there is a problem brewing. You will have a major breakdown here soon if you don't gauge your life, if you don't use the standard for right living that I am giving to you. The tape measure, there's some value in that. What people can see, sure, we'll talk about those things, but we need to get to where your heart is. And that's why I want you to know that you don't have it in you to do any of these things. We love talking about, well, I'm not going to murder. You know what? Jesus doesn't tempt me to murder very often. Satan doesn't tempt me to murder. People don't tempt me to murder. I don't feel like I need a lot of help, whether it's anything coming at me causing me to want to murder. But when I hear that Jesus is calling me to a higher standard where I don't have Anger in a vengeful way. And I put humble reconciliation at the forefront of all my worship. I need some help. Jesus says you cannot do this on your own. And finally, you were not asked to do it on your own. Some of us have bought into a lie for many years, maybe decade upon decade upon decade. And this is a day where you can have freedom. Where you recognize that things are not working the way that you had hoped. The engine of your life is not moving the way you wanted to. You don't know why weird things begin to grow on you and you've got a grumpy attitude and, and a get-even spirit and bitterness and, and just plain blah and you just you want to want to but you kind of feel lazy and lethargic spiritually and you don't know what kind of funk came over you. Jesus says, hello, it's not a genie lamp. 
There's no oil of the Spirit in your life. There's no power in your life. I've told you, I need to give you a new heart. You don't have it in you. I've never asked you to have it in you. There is a revolution of love. Let my love fill you and cause you to love me back and ooze out on the people around you. And when Pastor Brady talks about loving on the world around you, you don't begin to cringe and say, I don't know if I have time or or, I don't know if I have the personality because you don't have to worry about doing it. You just need more Jesus in your life. Shed abroad in your heart. And when Jesus comes out, that's the right way. Friend, you stop worrying about what people think when Jesus oozes out of you. Because if they don't like it, they don't like Jesus. And they got a bigger problem than what your opinion is. When Jesus oozes out of you, you don't have to worry if people think that you're, you're all that. Because guess what? You're not. And you can tell them that you're not. Because Jesus is. This is where the, the, that river of God, the joy comes in. And we sing about And it gives us an emotional goosebump. But if we're living in that, there is power in that. Not because we feel emotion, but because we say, God, sweep me away with your love and what you want to do in my life. Amen, church? Oh, that's good. I don't care who you are. That's good. God is asking us today to zero in on a key question. And as we close, I don't want to ask you, How your church attendance is going. I don't want to ask you if you're a good church member because I don't really care. I mean, I I guess I kind of care, but Jesus didn't care that much. Uh, I don't want to ask you if you believe in Jesus. Though I do care if you believe in Jesus, I don't want to ask you how long you've believed in Jesus. Jesus is saying, how is your heart? Because a truly changed heart will result in a Radically changed life. It's time, church, we put on the blood pressure cuff and we begin to allow God to gauge and tell us what the real story is of what's going on in our heart. Not to feel guilty that you have to perform more. In fact, some of you, for decades, you have dealt with this performance thing and God says, would you let it go and give it to me? Let me fill you with my Holy Spirit. Let me give you a brand new heart. Today, There's a lot of good and important things that we're going to get to, and you'll be there in good fashion. But I just feel impressed. It'd be wise for us to park here for a moment or two. How many more days will we go with a genie lamp flashing, and then we're perplexed when the engine doesn't work? If you're here today, and you say, I need Jesus to give me a new heart. I need Him to revive my heart. I need Him to rekindle the passion for Him in my heart. I need to make sure He has every room in my heart. Then I want to open up these altars and let you come forward and pray. You say, well, Pastor Brady, what will people think of me? I'm a leader here. I've been a staple in this church for for decades. They probably will think you're minding God. They probably will think you're making the best decision ever. They probably will think that you're ready to have even more power in your life. If you're here today and God's speaking to you, don't come because I'm asking you to. It'll be like a neon sign flashing in your mind. You come. Maybe God's speaking to you about something a million miles away from what I'm talking about. Who cares what people think? You come and meet the Jesus who wants to give you the strength and the power you need. I want to invite you to stand with me. And as we sing this song, we're not going to hang out here long. If you want to come to this place in prayer, you say, Jesus, I want you to change my heart. Give me a passion. Rekindle the fire in my heart today. If that's you, as we sing, you come 
right now in obedience. Let's worship together.